Okay, it's just about time to get started talking about the Princess Bride. Yeah, well, there's just one little problem. Uh, no guests. What? We're ready to record. Where are they? Maybe we got the hours wrong for the UK? Uh, I don't think so. Sorry, guys. Here I am. I apologize. There is a bit of a jam. No problem at all. Hey, and you guys also rhymed a little bit there. Oh, yeah, I suppose we did. Well, anyway, I lost track of time and got a bit late. That's what happens when you hesitate. You guys just did it again. Did huh? what? Rhymed. Oh, so we did. This is getting a bit airy. Yeah. Well, let me postulate a theory. They're still doing it. You see, I think we feel natural speaking in tandem. Even though, as a quirk, it seems quite random. Okay, okay, hold on, you guys. What seems to be the problem, Mike? Are we doing something that you don't like? I mean, this is just starting to get strange here. Yeah, and I think, comedically, we're looking for a bit more range here. Oh, jeez, not you too. Oh, man, I just finished my Mountain Dew. Poor you. That's true. Okay, that's enough. I don't want any more rhyming, intended or otherwise. I mean it. Hey, you movie nerds. Anybody want to play Seen It? Gah! It's Sacred Cows Tonight! With your hosts, Mike and Pete. Featuring Disembodied Voice Guy. With special guests, John Caulfield and Mike DeJong. Featuring the Sacred Cows Tonight band. And now welcome your hosts, Mike and Pete. Thanks, Thanks disembodied voice guy. Hey, disembodied voice guy. Ooh, I love your accent. Yes, Hugh Grant? Uh, it's John Caulfield, actually. Oh, right, John. I remember you from the Star Wars uh, Rogue One episode. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it has. Whatever, just ask the question. Uh, What's your favorite part of The Princess Bride? Uh, I was afraid it would be a question related to this silly little feel-good flick. Well, if I must answer, I'd say my favorite part is the fact that the big bad guy wins in the end. Spoilers by the... Uh, wait, what? <sighs> I love happy endings. Uh, yeah, but disembodied voice guy... Wesley threatens to leave the Prince Humperdinck hideously disfigured and wallowing in his own filth and misery at the end. You know, to the pain. Hey, pain! Disfigurement! Even better! But sadly, none of that actually happens. Wesley just leaves him tied to a chair and rides off into the sunset. His guards probably had him untied in, in 30 seconds. So you could chase down and kill the heroes. I mean, that's pretty much exactly what's implied in the book. Huh. You know, maybe that isn't such a happy ending. Exactly. Yeah, that was my favorite part. That and Billy Crystal. <laughs> right. Welcome to Sacred Cows Tonight. I'm Mike. I'm Pete. And with us today, we have our guests... John Caulfield. Hello, everyone. Good to be back. Welcome back, John. And Mike DeJong. Thank you. Hello. It's uh, DeJong, but I accept both because I'm multilingual or something. 
<laughs> That's a good viewpoint there. Well, ostensibly, we are all here today to talk about The Princess Bride, that Rob Reiner-directed 1987 movie. 1987. But first, as is tradition, we're going to let our guests uh, talk about whatever they want and promote whatever they want. Uh, so let's start with our newest member of the Sacred Cows Tonight guest family, Mike DeYoung. I guess I can talk about some of the other podcasts that I'm on, including the Redacted Files feed, where I play various characters in various campaigns. Sometimes the episodes are uh, desperately released, but you can search by my name if you want. And you can also find me on the SHU podcast feed, where I play Morg on Nebulous Nights with a certain editor of this very fine podcast. Nice. John, what would you like to talk about today for promotion or otherwise? I'm on another podcast called Brute Force. You can listen to that or whatever. I don't really care. But what I really <laughs> want to speak to you about is... Uh, Adam wouldn't be happy if you said that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah, listen to it. Sure. But more importantly, uh, this Saturday, the 28th of April, uh, starting at 10am EST, we're doing the annual Geekly Inc. charity stream. Uh, last year we raised over $11,000 for the ACLU, and this year we're raising money for the Alzheimer's Association. Oh, excellent. Um, so if you want to come along and catch some of that, that'll be on uh, twitch.tv slash geeklyinc. And we'll have a bunch of prizes to give out to donors and people in chat and things like that. And we'll be playing like board games and stuff all day with uh, members of Geeky Inc. podcasts. Nice. Sounds awesome. Sounds like a plan. So yeah, if you want to come to that, that'd be great. Awesome, awesome. And a worthy cause. So get yes. out there, herd, and, uh, and support them. And uh, get entertained while you're at it. Gentlemen, uh, let us discuss the princess bride i think before we get into the massive spoilers let's go into each of us's uh, first experience with this movie so who wants to go first among our guests you can fight amongst yourselves maybe fencing i'm tridextrous so uh you don't want to fight me i'm just saying i'll just plunge and uh get right <laughs> on in there with my background for it so if i remember correctly I was about the same age as uh, as little Freddy Savage when he was the main character in this movie, when I first saw it, which was several years after it came out, of course, but I, I think I probably saw it on TV and just when, when it was airing publicly, and I remember so much just the the awesome fight scenes, the comedy, and it actually being like, oh, this is, yeah, th this is a love story, but it's not bad. So I, I think I was pr like probably 10 years old or so when I first saw it. There you go. And I, st there's a lot of times where I just quote it randomly because, I don't know, it's, it is the song of our people. <laughs> uh, John, what is your ex first exposure to this movie? Um, I can't really remember when I first saw it. 
I would have been very young, probably like nine or ten or something. Um, I think in 87 I would have been eight. So yeah, probably like nine or ten. Um, it was a good movie, but it didn't have that much impact on me when I first saw it. But it was like a few years later when I rewatched it that I really sort of fell in love with it. And then a few years later again, I became obsessed with it. I was watching it like almost every day for for months. And uh, yeah, I've watched it countless times and it's one of my favorite movies. Um, I think it's, I don't think there's anybody that's seen this movie which doesn't just love it. Unless either of you don't love it. In which case we're no longer friends. We have to save that for the end. That's a spoiler, John. <laughs> <laughs> That comes at the end, John. Yeah. We have to talk like friends until the end of the show. It, it's okay. It's okay. called We're foreshadowing right them. now. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, John just throws the microphone out and leaves the studio. <laughs> <laughs> Bye forever till the next Star Wars episode. <laughs> Pete. Yeah. What is your, uh, what is your exposure to this? What, what, what was it? The year 1988, was it Willow came out? Willow, the movie with uh, Warwick Davis and yes. uh, Val Kilmer and all that. Mm -hmm. yeah, Something like that. that so time. I loved that movie. I watched it over and over and over and over. This is a Willow podcast, right? No, we're talking about A Princess Bride. I'm coming around to it. So I loved Willow and I wanted to watch it every opportunity I could. Well, uh, during like a snow day or something like that in the second grade, I want to say it was like 1989 or something. We got to watch a movie during class and all the boys chant, Willow, Willow, Willow. And all the girls are like, let's watch The Princess Bride. And we're like, basically, so we're in second grade or something. And we're just like, fuck that. The Princess Bride. That sounds like the girliest goddamn name for a movie ever. <laughs> Eli, bleep all of this stuff out. Um, so they were like, just give it a chance. And, you know, girls tend to get their way. So we watched it. And it was awesome. I loved the movie. I watched it a ton after that. And I don't know if I watched Willow again until like I was an adult. Like I was over Willow at that point. So that was my first viewing experience. Yeah. I imagine when the film first started playing, you were very much like Fred Savage. Like, is this a kissing movie? I, I feel like <laughs> every boy was, you know, like that, that was the plant in the movie to, <laughs> to be the, the character that we related to. But he comes around. We came around. It was a great movie. But anyway, so Mike, our, our host, Mike, uh, uh, what was your first experience with this movie? Uh, I got to say, I, I'm pretty sure this is one of those movies that um, uh, we caught during uh, HBO free preview weekend the first time, I think. Um, I remember having HBO when I was like a teenager, but like when I was a, a young kid, probably around, again, nine or ten, like you guys, same same age range um, and this this definitely would have been on HBO in like the pre preview weekend. Like you could watch movies like this all the time, and I remember seeing it it there. And um, I just remember thinking it was goofy, and I liked the sword fights. And I was young enough that I don't remember much more after that. And honestly, um, guys, I hadn't seen it since uh, then that I can remember, unless it was just on like cable or something, or TBS or TNT, like we are are fancy to say around here because they would play everything <laughs> but uh yeah mm -hmm. it, it, the the thing that stuck with me the most was the sword fight the first one and then uh, i am nigo montoyo you killed my father prepare to die <laughs> you know 
So, Mike, you're saying before you watch the movie for this podcast, you're coming off something like a 20, 20 odd year gap. I'm thinking so. Yeah. I mean, there there might have been a rogue okay, okay. viewing here and there uh, that I'm that I uh, don't remember much of. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm it really been a long time. All right. Well, fresh eyes then sort of. Confession, I've never seen The Wizard either, so I'm really lo- low on my Fred Savage uh, um, <laughs> kid acting stuff. So I don't think I've seen The Wizard either. I, I haven't seen that one. I have seen that one. It's good. Hmm. And as a Nintendo it's fan, so I probably good. owe it to myself to see that one. A slightly more involved role for Fred Savage, I'm sure. But okay. Well, now that we've all talked about our first time watching it, I think it's time for us to jump into the spoilers. So that means if you're a first-time listener and you've never listened to our show before, we're going to spoil the heck out of it. So now's the time. If you want to go watch The Princess Bride before we spoil the heck out of it, pause your podcast. We promise we'll wait. We'll probably have a snack while you're gone. Um, But when you come back, then we can all talk about it together. And you know what? If... You don't care about spoilers and you just want to hear the episode, then great. You don't need to pause, but uh, we're going to pause and go get some popcorn and come back. And we're back. Wasn't that popcorn great, guys? Now that you're no longer the last person on Earth who hasn't seen The Princess Bride, we have to do our patented 10,000-foot view of the movie. A high-level summary, 10,000-foot view. So... As always, our guests have first crack at that. So, John or Mike, do you want to do the summary? Is there a volunteer? Or do you want to pass it, it off? It's, it's kind of an offer you can't refuse. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, so the movie, at its premise, is a kissing movie. That's what you need to know. <laughs> um, yeah, so, there's this uh, farm boy called Wesley. Um, who is in love with, I guess, his boss, for want of a, a better word. Um, the farmer, uh, she, the prototypical farmer's daughter. He goes, um, <laughs> it's been a while since I watched it. He goes uh, sailing or something, right? Goes off to war, is it? Or he goes off to find like his that? fortune sailing. He goes to find his fortune. For- yeah. That's it, find his fortune. Um, and he goes missing, um, and uh, the Princess Bride, who is better known as Buttercup, um, is heartbroken about all of this. Then this evil dude called Count Rugen comes along and kidnaps her, uh, and then the Dread Pirate Roberts comes along and kidnaps her from Count Rugen, and it turns out that the Dread Pirate Roberts is actually Wesley, and then she gets kidnapped again. She gets kidnapped a lot in this movie, actually, doesn't she? That's what she's there for. She uh, gets kidnapped mm. again, and Prince Humperdinck is planning to marry her. And then Wesley, with a bunch of uh, previous smugglers slash criminals, uh, goes out and rescues her. That's the main sort of premise, I guess. Um, that's interspersed with clips from the quote-unquote real world, where it turns out that the story is actually being read to a sick little boy, uh, played by Fred Savage, um, whose grandfather is Columbo, and Columbo is reading yeah. <laughs> the story 
<laughs> to um, Fred Savage from the Wonder Years. It to the Wonder Years kid, yeah, right. You stole my joke, um, John. Yeah, I wanted to he... say. <laughs> <laughs> and we we should mention that this sick kid, like he's gonna get better, right? He's got a cold. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it sounded a little more serious when you, when you talked. About it's it. never confirmed that he gets better. That's true. <laughs> um, hasn't yeah, so his video game playing. I think he's playing hooky. So I'm he just interrupts saying. the movie every now and again with a little side quip. That's more or less it. I think he nailed it. Thank it's you. about a. It's about a one of those shouldn't do it workplace romances that just kind of takes off and evolves into something of its own. If you could call that a workplace romance, really, that's more of a, I don't know, agrarian lifestyle. Like, I I need you to survive. Yeah, you, know. you need me to survive. You know, we're love now. <laughs> it's going to work out. <laughs> also, it's a movie. I get kidnapped a lot. I forgot to mention that. I, you know, that's, okay, let's just start diving right into it. That's the weirdest thing in this movie is that since it's a comedy, if you, you know, as long as you don't think about it very hard, which you're not really given to thinking about it very hard, that the, that Buttercup is kidnapped a lot. And I didn't even think about that there. It's just like, because it's such, it's such like, well, I guess you're coming with me now. Oh, I guess he's coming with her. You know, blah, blah, blah. He's going with him. Well, this is like the time period of Damsels in Distress. So here we've got our... Basically, the one female character in the movie who isn't the old witch who yells, boo! Boo! And and, uh, Miracle Max's wife. Oh, yes, yes, and Carol Kane, sorry. To to Buttercup's credit, she does try to escape from the ship when she sees the other ship coming. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, it's also in the, uh, the Sea of the Screaming Eels, yeah. Yeah. And she pushes her kidnapper wesley unknown to her down a rocky hill and you know probably would have killed him if he wasn't so damn tough Mm. and then dives right after him because and then yeah right you know she takes some questionable actions as well for sure so this is going to be just a general comment about the movie the plot elements themselves really don't have as much bearing or weight as just the action and the dialogue that's happening in the movie because it is Mm. a comedy um the setting and the storyline are very important to the movie, but um, what captures your attention and, you know, your admiration for this movie is going to just be the the sequence of scenes in which, you know, there's this badass sword fight that's really excellently choreographed and performed. Uh, there's these three criminals who are just hilarious when they talk. You know, it's the that battle kind of, of whips so. and stuff. Uh, it's hard. The film's just... Uh woman gets kidnapped guy goes and rescues her mm-hmm. but it's the way that they do it it's, yeah, it's, just... it's much more than that yeah. really it's a story about how true love will persevere over all including death or at least mostly death yeah mostly dead yeah right really the performances in this movie are what make it a shining star absolutely mm. uh and it, it's got people in it that you recognize uh, from nowadays, of course, the main character, Wesley, is... Oh, I never know how to say his name. Carrie Elves? Elves? Uh, Elvis. 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 Carrie Ewes? 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 Yeah, something like that. I, I, sorry, Carrie, right. if you're listening. <laughs> but... <laughs> now, here... Uh, Enigo Montoya, I always get this one wrong. It's 
Mandy, I keep on wanting to say, to say Mandy Potemkin, but that's not it's a Potemkin. Uh, Mandy Patinkin. 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 Jeez. I feel like there's an Animaniacs joke somewhere about Manny Patinkin, but... <laughs> they they riffed on just about everything, whether anybody got the joke or not. No, we've got Wallace Shawn, the guy who is the voice of the uh, T-Rex from he's so Toy Story. Yeah, he's the perfect <laughs> the perfect character for that. Andre the Giant, of course. The the only other person that could have pulled that off, I think, would be Jason Alexander. But <laughs> they They had tried to cast Danny DeVito in that role. And I guess it didn't work out. And Wallace Shawn always felt like he was <laughs> walking around in the shadow of Danny DeVito, which is not easy to do because the guy's like, what, four, ten, four, eight or something like that. But yeah. I, the yeah. only guy that didn't really do much after this is probably the guy that played Prince Humperdinck, right? Well, no, he was in Fright Night. That was the only other time I saw him. Uh, Chris Sarandon. He was the bag. Yeah. He was the vampire in Fright Night, the original Fright Night. Right. But other than that, yeah, you know, you didn't see much of him. Nobody knows what happened to Billy Crystal either. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm assuming that Peter Cook did something after this, after his uh, role as the uh, the impressive clergyman. But well, he he was a star in like what '60s and '70s British comedy, right? I feel like yeah, yeah, he was like uh, a Monty Python era British comedian. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah. like, after Princess Bride, oh, though. Oh, would he have then? Yeah, this was kind of his, <laughs> the pinnacle of his career, if you will, <laughs> you know. Guys, let's no, let the actual British guy do... talk about the British guy. I mean, he, he did a lot of stuff after Princess Bride, but nothing that I really watched. He used to do a lot of stuff with um, Dudley Moore. Oh, sure, Dudley Moore. Yeah. Um, mm. And with uh, Peter Sellers as well, I think. Sure, cool. Mm. Very cool. Because... Yeah, I just remember for whatever reason that he died in 95, and this was in 87, so it's there's some time there, but... And it, it always amused me that a um, guy called Mel Smith is in it. He plays the albino. The sure, albino. sure. Because um, he was a, a UK like sketch show comedy guy. Um, that, that, that was the one yeah, guy I didn't It always really surprised recognize. me that he was in this. Huh. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else. That's where I recognized him from. He was on Not the Nine O'Clock News with Ron Atkinson, wasn't he? He was. Oh, okay, cool. Now that he looked familiar. Very nice. I'd be remiss if we didn't say that Christopher Guest was the man with six fingers, uh, Rugen. Of course, yeah. Count Mm. Rugen. Coming coming off a recent performance in... uh, I always get them mixed up. Rob Reiner's uh, This is Spinal Tap, which we reviewed on this show. Um, yes. And apparently, did you know that um, Schwarzenegger nearly got the role of um, Fezzik? What? All right. Nice. Really? So, How different would this movie be if that was him? That's what I read on 12 Inconceivable Facts about the Princess Bride. Yeah, right. Mm. He was and probably Colin Firth out of their was price almost range? Wesley. Probably. Who was almost Wesley? Um, it says both Colin Firth and Christopher Reeve were considered for the part of Wesley. Huh. Dang. Nah. I think they made the right choice. Yeah. Mm. I think this movie is cast impeccably. It's, mm. it's wonderful, exactly as it is. The fir- but the first, I'm so used to seeing Carrie Elways with just the mustache, you know, and that he has later in the movie, and then like in Robin Hood Men in Tights, he has the same mustache. <laughs> um, but, uh, 
like seeing him, you know, his little baby face when you first you see him just living in the cabin. You're like, oh my god, he's so young. Yeah. No. Yeah, just like this, like tiny little blonde boy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm glad that it got cast exactly the way that it did because uh, it's I I I, cu- I couldn't picture it any other way. Mm. Okay, so what is let's go through what is the most either memorable. In a in a good way or bad way, scene or character for each of you. My favorite character is probably Fezzik. Mm. He's just so good. Like seeing cool. Andre the Giant in that role. I mean, he's not a great actor, you know, but he was perfectly cast for that character. For sure, um, absolutely. I, I think obviously the best scene is like the sword fight. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. one of my personal favorites is the bit on the boat where they're rhyming. And Fezzik goes, anybody want a peanut? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I love that bit so much. Yeah. And I th- I still think that's an important part of the movie, just that rhyming back and forth, because it goes to show that, like, Vizzini's the bad guy here yeah. for this first bet. The other two are just doing a job, and Fezzik's just... A big, ha- cheerful lunk. He wants just to help. Not to be unemployed in Greenland anymore. Mm. You know, <laughs> and the fight between Wesley and Fesik as well is also great. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, especially just visually when you see like um, Wesley's head next to Fesik's head, like the size difference is just incredible. Yeah, mm. no special effect would have achieved the same. You know. Though I have heard that uh, there was a body double for some of the scenes where you don't see Fezzik's face at all and Wesley's on his back because Andre the Giant has had severe back issues mm, sure. after all of his years in wrestling and his his skeleton being as it is. So he never he never actually did a lot like the parts where he'd be Wesley would be on him physically because it would just mess up his back how in God's name did they find a body double for Andre the Giant (laughs) lots of makeup (laughs) I think they they just put (laughs) like a wig on a barn I think shitload of latex (laughs) there is a size difference between the two so so if it's fat that's one of the reasons why it's fast cuts I think to make sure that people don't cotton onto it too often yeah, there's a whole there's a whole book uh, that Carrie Elway's put together about uh, the making of this movie, and there's a bunch of it is like dedicated to Andre the Giant and all the stuff that he uh, um, had to have because you're right, he wasn't in, in tremendous physical condition and things like that. Uh, uh, I I remember him being on a podcast. I I heard him talking about like that Andre had to ride around on like an ATV and stuff because he would just. Um, he would get so sore and tired if he just kept walking around. So he only did it, you know, when he was uh, on on the actual, you know, movie set part. But like getting back to his trailer and different places he needed to go uh, for makeup and stuff. You know, he was just riding around on an ATV, which is kind of strange. Mm, I heard he drank incredible amounts of booze on the set, also. Yeah, or in general, also like you're right. Yeah, also <laughs> off the set. Well, like, I mean, downing fifty liters of beer a day, kind of thing. <laughs> 
But that was because, I mean, they said that was because that was the way that he dulled the pain um, because his condition wasn't without um, him just having physical pain even when he wasn't injured. Anyway, so Mike, what is your most memorable scene and character from the movie? It's a very close tie because Fezzik and Inigo Montoya are so meshed together as a unit in my memory that separating them is extremely hard. But I guess if I had to choose, I'd probably go with Inigo Montoya. Because even though he is a revenge-thirsty son of a gun, his his heart is usually in the right place. And uh, sometimes he needs his friends to get him out of his drunken funks. But he's also extremely fair, because, like... He threw down the rope for Wesley. He didn't stab him when he had a chance to when he was climbing up. He's a nice guy. Yeah. yeah. If not honorable, they, you know, as Andre the Giant says a number of times, sportsmanlike, you know, they want, <laughs> they, they want to have a they want to have a fair fight because they both think that they're the best at what they do, brute strength yeah. and fencing. So they want an opponent that can give them a, a decent challenge, both of them. I think even if it's maybe not like the most fun scene of the movie, the part where Inigo gets his final revenge on Count Rugen at the end is perhaps, you know, the most memorable movie. Mike, you said the one of the few things you remembered from the movie was, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. He says that 12 times during the scene. Um, oh, yeah. Getting like, it's also, angrier and angrier each time. Right. It's one of the most heartfelt non-romance moments of the movie, for sure, because, you know we've been rooting for this guy all along and he finally you know gets it and i'm sure it doesn't solve his problems and he'll he'll turn out to be like a batman type of a character at some well yeah actually they said yeah would you like to be a dread pirate roberts there you go he can go be a vigilante on the high seas now (laughs) thirsty for eternal revenge but i guess i guess i kind of just segued that was one of my most memorable scenes but you know i personally am a big fan of comedy i don't know if the miracle max scene is the funniest part of the you know (laughs) scene in the movie it's fairly funny but i also want to just tell a kind of a charming little story from my boyhood when i first saw this movie i had no idea who the hell billy crystal was so i see this super old guy and of course when you're a kid you don't notice obvious you know latex face masks and stuff like that i was just like oh billy crystal's this like really super old funny guy then you see him do the Academy Awards, and it's like, who the hell is this? They just said it was Billy Crystal, but this guy's like <laughs> 50 years younger. What the hell? So this movie is my first introduction to Billy Crystal. I imagine it was probably mine as well. You mean you guys weren't like big fans of Throw Mama from the Train as kids? Or the hit TV show Soap? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I must have just missed you know that one culturally Hmm. uh mike mike you said you hadn't seen this movie often but do you have any other scenes that uh sparked your uh, recognition when you saw them i think um i think the one that i wasn't expecting that i kind of smiled a bit uh during was the fezic fight with wesley um just because i remember him just hanging around his neck um 
that sparked that sparked a little smile. But I think my favorite is when they're they're getting ready to sneak into the castle and they're carrying around um, Wesley's dead weight, basically, because only his head is active at that point, <laughs> um, sure. only partially alive. The nodding. Yeah, and then just like yeah, his head falls down when they're not holding it up and everything like that, <laughs> and uh, just the stupid physical comedy and like I have never like done like a you know like a play or anything where you've tried to just play a dead body, but I can imagine just trying you know when you when you go into the doctor and they're like okay relax as much as you can and you never relax, how good you have to be at acting to actually do that, you know. Oh right. That that mm. yeah, I appreciate that from a around. from a craft standpoint, like how limp he has to like make his body to to be able to pull that off convincingly, you know? Um that is good even acting. Even when they're walking Yeah, even when they're walking through the castle corridors and like Fezzix just got him by like the belt or something like that, he's very mm-hmm. limply just kind of like ragdolling around in there. It's very good. <laughs> The actors in this movie just all play on each other so well. I was reading just before the show that, uh, well, you know, I'm sure they're just good at cultivating uh, chemistry being that they're actors. But uh, Rob Reiner would actually throw like little intimate gatherings at his cottage near where they were filming nightly so that everybody would come probably drink wine and, you know, you know, laugh and stuff like that. So they all kind of got to be kind of like, well, you know, a little family, you know, an onset family kind of a thing. So, but everybody plays on each other so well, uh, you know, uh, 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 Carrie and Andre and Mandy uh, as the trio. And, and, you know, of course, the, the giant and the swordsman, they're not particularly bright. It's funny to watch them like counting on their fingers like, oh, OK, so we got to kill how many then? It's like, well, you know, crap, you know, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It's funny. Uh, now it's time to check our Twitter questions from you guys on Twitter. Uh, let's see what we got for this episode. Our first and apparently only Twitter question about this movie is, what's the best thing to cover a pill in to help <laughs> you swallow it? That's from Matthew Morris. Uh, me, personally, peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> cover anything with peanut butter or swallow. To, to I help you swallow it easier. That, I'm not actually. so sure about that. Yeah, it wouldn't necessarily make it easier for me to swallow it. Oh. It would probably get stuck in my throat. But it would make me want to swallow it. Hide it in a piece of So you're of saying cheese. that, that mm. you're like a like a dog, John. That <laughs> Anything with <laughs> a yeah. big old yeah. dog. <laughs> and he just sits there licking his lips for 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had any troubles with pills recently, but I do remember as a child trying a few things because, ah, movies say a bunch of stuff. I tried a spoonful of sugar, Mary Poppins. No, it's gritty and it makes it cough. <laughs> when you take your medication. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honey definitely does work if you want to make it really e- easy if it's one of those weird jagged pills a jagged little I, pill by Alanis Morissette <laughs> if you need to swallow that or one then, of mother's uh, little helpers mm, uh, I remember just having some butter butter not peanut butter 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 oh my god it, that just slid it right stick down. it you grease I it up down grease the it hatch. up down the hatch I remember somebody telling me that, that they used to do that as a kid. I don't, one of my relatives, I have no idea who. (laughs) And I'm like, what? (laughs) I see. 
it i think that was probably the thing that got me to just swallow pills without anything because after the butter it's like nope nope i i don't need help anymore i can do it wow am i missing the reference did i not remember it in a martini this joke in the movie is this something i'm missing Oh, uh, Miracle Max. This is, is yeah, Miracle Max is a chocolate covered pill. I mean, I think chocolate's a fine idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, chocolate's a pretty damn good one as far as things go, especially if you have a pill that big to swallow. <laughs> Plus, hey, he doesn't even really swallow that thing. He just stuffs it in his. They just stuff yeah. it in his cheek or something like that. I was totally like expecting Feza to massage his neck. Yeah. like like a I thought dog. we were going to see like the opening scene from Jawbreaker or something, you know, but. Apparently it doesn't turn out that oh, way. Oh God! Takers Jawbreaker. Eh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a big freaking pill. <laughs> and that's our Twitter questions this time. So apparently people were just this movie's very straightforward. <laughs> so people didn't have a lot of questions. Thank you for that creative one. Yeah, it really doesn't leave a lot of questions in the mind. N- not not that I mean I want to get off on a huge tangent about this, but the uh, this movie was based on uh, the 1973 novel The Princess Bride, uh, ostensibly by historical author S. Morgenstern, but really by William Goldman, right? William Goldman, uh, mm. and William Goldman actually served as the screenwriter, a screenwriter uh, for this movie. Who's read that book of 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 us? I did read it once uh, several years ago, and. Yeah, um, same. It's it's a really good book. It's written in a really bizarre but interesting way that fits very well with the way the film is done. Because yeah. um, the premise of the book is that the writer of the original book, or the fictional writer of the book, basically wrote this story which was like an excuse to just write pages and pages and pages about all the different trees of the country and stuff like <laughs> so that. So it's making fun of, and of uh, the... Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess lampooning perhaps, fantasy yeah. authors. And then William Goldman, who's like the actual author, like tells a story in this book about how his grandfather used to read this book to him when he was a kid, and it was like a really exciting book. And then as he got older, he read it himself and realized that his grandfather had been like editing it like on the fly as he was reading it and just cutting out all of the boring stuff about all the trees and stuff and just keeping the the adventure stuff Hmm. it was really interesting and it did make me google it again to see if that was actually any of that was at all true and that he made up the whole thing like there wasn't originally a book that was edited and stuff yeah, I, I was fooled by that little ruse at first too. But no, I've I've read this book and the author annotates it all over the place. There's mm-hmm. like these italic passages where he's like, and this is the part where Wesley and Buttercup bicker like an old married couple as they walk through the fire swamp. And I've just spared you of that tedious, you know, seven <laughs> pages or whatever. You know, um, uh, it's you know obviously in the movie that was replaced with Fred Savage and uh, Peter Falk. Uh, mm. breaking into the story to like kind of like explain things and stuff like that. So it's not exactly one to one, but stylistically, uh, they got about as close as they possibly could. Yeah, it's definitely worth a read if you haven't read it. I think it's really excellent. Mm. Since we're in the spoiler territory, and I haven't read the book, in our in our little uh, sketch earlier, we talked you talked about um, the ending of the book. Um, do do they not have a happy ending in the book? 
Uh, well, it, it's been many moons since I've read it also, but the main thing that I remember about the end of the book was the preview for the second book, which I don't, at this point, I don't oh, know if yeah, it actually exists or not, it or if it was just another it doesn't exist. cunning ruse. Yeah. But it was. Buttercup's how... Baby was the name of the sequel. Yeah. Buttercup's <laughs> Baby. Yeah. Right. And the, that, but... the only thing about that that I remember is that Fezzik gets like possessed by some sort of doctor spirit and performs a season. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's very weird, and William Goldman's come out and said he's tried. He's desperately tried to write Buttercup's Baby, but he just does not have well, any you know idea why? what you know it why? should be what about. It should have been the doc comes back and goes, it's your kids, Wesley, your kids! Something has to be done about your kids! <laughs> In a DeLorean? <laughs> Flying DeLorean? Yeah. That would have been, hey... The Princess Bride 2, the search for more been. money. <laughs> so I think in the the book, does it, it, it ends does up. like the normal ending that you get in the movie, and then in the book it says something like, and that's where my grandfather would normally stop reading it to me, but this is what actually happens after or something like that. Yeah, it ends on a on a cliffhanger. They, they get away, and as alluded in our joke, uh, the prince easily escapes being you know tied simply to a chair and sends his armies after them and that's when like things like i think it says fezzik's horse throws a shoe and uh inigo montoya like falls off of his horse and wesley like gets you know i don't know like just stuff goes wrong for him so it ends on a cliff note where things don't look like they're gonna <laughs> turn out very good for the heroes basically but it it is the it you know it's like um it's like quantum leap it ended on a cliffhanger so there's nothing left there's nothing else <laughs> that's so silly <laughs> <laughs> so there you go okay well do we do we have anything else that we'd like to uh, talk about uh, uh scenes in the movie um things that you thought were amazingly well done uh this let's kind of make this like a last one more go round before we get to the verdict one scene we haven't mentioned at all is the fire swamps. <laughs> oh, uh, the yes. R-U-S's. Yeah, the R-U-S's. Iconic. Oh, I don't think yeah. they exist. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a somewhat hostile place, that fire swamp. <sighs> uh, jets of fire bursting out of the ground, and yeah. Men in suits Ro- jumping at you. Yeah, right, yeah. I, I like it better than the, the, the swamp from Labyrinth, so... That's uh, one thing that I did definitely think about when I was rewatching how when the uh, old booing woman says that she that Buttercup was going to be the queen of filth and lies, it's like, <laughs> oh, she can hook up with Hoggle in mm-hmm. Labyrinth. <laughs> I want to say that that old woman really had just a very minor little bit part, and she was one of the standouts in this movie <laughs> as far as acting. <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, she really gave it everything. 110. She stole the show. Before we had the Game of Thrones shame bell septa, we had the (laughs) booing old woman. Right. (laughs) I wish they'd brought that back for Game of Thrones. But she's actually in on IMDb. Her character is called the Ancient Booer. (laughs) The Ancient Booer. See, I love the Ancient Booer. She's great. See, I, I I think uh, for me, one of the most uh, impressive things wasn't a specific scene, but it was more the um, craftsmanship that just went into the movie altogether. 
Um, I mean, you've got Rob Reiner basically, you know, coming off of like a, like Spinal Tap and things like that, which is a documentary, different, well, mockumentary, I should say, but in the style of a documentary, different style mm-hmm. movie, not a lot of sets and things like that. This, to me, felt like it was constructed like a, 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 a modern, modern being 80s anyway, at the time, uh, take on like the 1950s, 60s movie that pretty much all takes place on a couple of sets. Um, and it doesn't entirely take place on sets. There's, there's some outdoors things and stuff like that. But um, the things that are, do take place mm-hmm. on sets are beautiful sets. I mean, like the the sword fight is all a set. You can tell, you know, there's the the backgrounds and stuff are, are you know matte paintings right. and things like that. Um, the the castle set inside is is beautiful and well done. Uh, you know, it feels yeah, it set, feels like right? those yeah. are just really well done, expensive plays on giant stages, and it's, that feels like it's a bit of a tribute yes. to you know, those movies from that era. And I thought that was pretty cool. And then they still had the nice outdoor scenes. Yeah. Well, like for the uh, sword fencing scene, the uh, just the way everything was so masterfully crafted. But then when the camera pans around in the certain direction, you realize, oh, those are gymnastic bar- gymnastics bars. Oh, they actually were. Right. Yeah, right. I feel like I'm watching Jim Cotta all no, and it, it it's such a well-constructed set that they could film it at different angles and things like that. And you know that's a good set, set design, and it doesn't like look like, you know, when they, they obviously pull part of the set apart to film the other part, and you can't see like the seams and things like that. If this was just a cheap, not well-done movie, you know, yeah. you'd be able to see that junk. So, very good. They, they clearly were very good at creating elaborate sets. And what I think it's remarkable, you get what you get, Mike, you know, uh, mo- modern in a past time period, trying to emulate an even farther past time period, what you end up getting is just a really timeless, excellent movie. I mean, it f- it doesn't feel like it belongs to the 80s. It doesn't feel like it mm. belongs to the 50s. It just feels like a very watchable movie now, you know, like uh, it, it, it held up extremely well in that respect, I think. Uh, and, you know, it's not like watching an episode of Seinfeld where everybody, you just go like, geez, the hair. But, and, and the <laughs> yeah, puffy It's not shirts. like Star Wars where but, it looks um, like Star Wars is a land, long time ago in the 70s, far, far away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in a groovy galaxy far, far away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it holds up really well in that respect. It feels timeless. And so it's, it, it's, you know, well set up to be a classic for, you know, the next generation yeah. as yeah, well, I think. I think a lot of, like, fantasy-based movies can hold up well just because they're not, like, uh, set in the time that they were filmed sort of thing. Okay, so uh, I'd I see. Um, who's who's went so far? John, you said your uh, your most uh, thing that, we wanted, that you wanted to remember. I said one. Um, Pete and Mike, have you went yet? I... I, th- I think our, you know, comments are kind of to the, you know, the effect at, at this point. My my most recent com- comment was fairly cumulative. You know, I think that the the movie uh, succeeds um, both that both in the period that it was produced and now as a funny, well produced, enjoyable to watch, uh, really quite quite uh, fun film. There is 
one more scene that I think we should at least acknowledge, if not discuss about in depth. Um, and that's just the Battle of Wits. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yes. We haven't talked at all about that. And it's just masterful. The you know some of you had mentioned that you really liked the sword fight you really liked the Fezzik fight scene but just that whole sequence of events where they're climbing the cliffs followed by the sword fight mm. followed by the strength fight followed by the battle of wits is just like one very tight excellent act of this um, of this movie I don't know if you'd call it a second act or something like that or yeah. first you know mm. the end, tail end of the first act but it's really um, a super fun portion of the movie, and and I believe there were times when I would just watch that part of the movie and then like <laughs> kill it after that. No word of a lie, I have tried to use the Sicilian defense in rock paper scissors tournaments at in high school, doing things like just walking up to people at, after I've known that they've recently watched Princess Bride and saying, "I am going to use rock." <laughs> <laughs> and just watching the gears turn in their head as what they're going to do next. Right. Is he going to use rock? Is he not? He told me, so he won't. So but he knows that I... He told me that he's He knows that I know that he knows. So, so and that's, he what knows you hit, that... that's when you hit him with the Iocane powder, right? <laughs> no. Pocket's <laughs> hand! <laughs> I mean, the real lesson you have to learn from that whole scene, though, is to never go up against the system. Against a Sicilian when death is on the yeah. and never start a land war in Asia. <laughs> oh, yeah, yep. that too. Yep. <laughs> That's the real takeaway here. I think with that, now it's time for us to take a break, and when we come back, we will have your verdict. And we're back. Now is the time that you've all been waiting for. It's the time when we decide if the Princess Bride is sacred. Inconceivably sacred! Or if it should be put out to pasture. Hello, my name is the Princess Bride. I am not sacred. Prepare to die. Okay, so guests, uh, which one of you wants to go first, unless you want to pass it to us to go first? Uh, I find this sacred. I find that it still holds up after all of the years. I, even after watching it a few times this past week, just to try to see if there's any weird things that stand out to me, like, oh, yeah, yeah, Buttercup probably shouldn't be just a damsel in distress that tries to kill herself in the end. And hey, is that a Hudson Bay Company mug? Nice! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I. I kept on grinning like a ninny while watching it. I mean, maybe my standards aren't super high. I don't know, but I find it sacred. Okay, John, what do you think? Uh, is there a ranking above sacred? Uh, <laughs> because uh, this how is really well, there's, sacred. There's a legendary this super sacred, really, but then really you get to grunt for about 20 minutes to <laughs> yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah, super sacred level super four. Yeah, super right. sacred. <laughs> um, uh, this is still one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and it was made like, what, 30, 31 years ago now? Something yeah. like that. And mm -hmm. it's still just as good as the first like few times I watched it. 
I, I could watch this anytime. Uh, there's just... I can't really see any flaws with it. I'm sure there must be, and I'm just bl blinded by my love of the movie, but I, it's it's great. It's one of my favorites. Uh, no Danny DeVito, there's a flaw sacred. for you. No, That's it's, true. It's, it's always <laughs> sunny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mike, how would you like to do this? Would you like to give your yeah, verdict sure, next? Sure. Um, Okay. I I'm I'm actually going to break rank and I'm going to go I'm going to break John's heart and go not sacred. Uh, <gasps> oh. oh, yeah. Well, it's not that I didn't think it was slightly entertaining, but I don't know. It just it didn't capture me and maybe I'm just the wrong demographic for it. I thought there were moments that I thought were like funny, but to me for some reason I just and maybe this is part of it, you know, the memory of it. I thought this was like a, a raucous comedy where I expected, you know, way more jokes. Um, the jokes were a lot more subtle, and I do appreciate that. But for me, it was just like there's just a lot of a lot of weird stuff happening, and I could appreciate the scenes, but as a whole, I'm just like, okay, I've watched it twice, uh, you know, now in uh, 20 years at least. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and <laughs> watched it maybe three times. Years. I don't know. I I think I've watched it more when I was a kid, and maybe, but I still. It's just it's only those few scenes that really stuck with me, and a couple of performances. But for some reason, just I don't know. I don't know what it is. The hole didn't gel for me as much as I as I thought it would. Interesting. Well, wow. I think I need to find a new roommate. For <laughs> uh oh. Yeah, Mike. I don't know if you want to spend it. You know, a it night was a it was a very tough room. one, Jeez. John. I'll slip iocane powder in your. You have to sleep sometime, I guess. <laughs> well, you can share it the first night, but then the iocane powder comes out, and well, one will be yeah. around. We don't know what happened. Uh, Okay, well, hey, let me bring it back, you know, around. Let me bring it back around here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that this movie. Yeah, my vote doesn't matter. Um, and I guess it depends on who you are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a big relief to all of us, I'm sure. <laughs> um, no, this movie is is sacred. You know, I got a little too rambunctious before the verdict by talking about how well it holds up, how it's still as enjoyable now really to me as it was when i was a kid you know there's definitely some nostalgia factor playing in there but it isn't a raucous comedy it is uh action uh like a fantasy action movie with tons of witty dialogue um and humorous a, um a visual comedy swashbuckler yeah it's a witty swashbuckler that's an excellent way of putting it and um and I, a mad scientist yeah and not to mention yeah right it's got everything. No zoo of death, though. It didn't have a zoo of death. Um, that's from the book. But um, apart from that, I'm, I'm, of course, giving it the sacred verdict because I think it held up for me in absolutely every way. And I was even a little surprised by that, it, that it was still so enjoyable to watch. Does it make up for it a little bit if I say it's not sacred but uh, to me, but I still think somebody should watch it? For for me, I guess the reason I did I said not sacred was just because I think uh, it's one of those that you have to make your own decision. I don't feel very strongly in either direction. Does that make sense? Okay, well, everybody, we got a three to one uh, sacred verdict, which means it is sacred. Bovinus, thank Torum. 
Well, uh, yeah, there's the verdict. So um, we'll take a little break and we'll come back for a closing. That concludes our review of The Princess Bride. Thank you to John and Mike, our wonderful guests, for coming and putting up with us. John, where can people contact you on the internet webs? Uh, the best place to get me is on Twitter. That's at Noodzer. That's N-O-O-D-Z-E-R. And uh, Mike, where can people find you on the internet webs? Well, you can find me generally on Twitter at Tokan. That's T-O-K-K-A-N. Do any of you want to give any contact information for any of the things that you uh, talked about earlier promoting? I'm sure. Uh, my podcast can be found at Brute Force Cast, and our charity stream, like I said, take place on the 28th of April at 10 a.m. Uh, EST, and that will be on twitch.tv slash geeklyinc. Very good. Uh, Mike, how about you? Well, you can find the Redacted Files podcast at TRF Podcast on Twitter or trfpodcast.com. Or you can find the SHU or and their myriad uh, podcasts at shupodcast.com. And if you do a search for S House Studio, uh, you should be able to find their one of their uh, RSS feeds also for their myriad podcasts. They do a lot of uh, both TRF and SHU do a variety of actual play podcasts with a variety of systems. Nice. Pete, where can people find you on the internet webs, since I'm saying that today? All right, people can... Yeah, uh, people can generally not find me on Twitter <laughs> at uh, I'm no tweet Pete at not underscore wheat W E E T underscore Pete. Uh, don't ask or just listen it. to <laughs> it, it. Well, you know it's really something, isn't not it? Wheat, Pete. And it, it, due to the current events, public scandal, and public outrage, I have finally gone ahead and deleted my IRC chat uh, user. So that is gone. Oh, but I've still got Facebook. So. Go on. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at White Morph. You can find Sacred Cows Podcast on Twitter at Sacred Cows Pod. Um, we also can be found on the internet, sacredcows.libsyn.com, but you probably know that if you're listening, unless you got it through iTunes or Stitcher or whatever. Um, we also will take long-form uh, email questions, comments, suggestions with the email address sacredcows at heroofthewebcom or sacredcows at heroofthewebcom It's the same spelling either way, and I probably should stop using that joke. Uh, we would like your iTunes reviews. Uh, Five-star iTunes reviews are very, very welcome. Uh, you can bash us in the comments, but five-star reviews helps uh, uh, people find us and other people to find your five-star review, I suppose, uh, as a consequence. So... That is all I've got. Um, and good night, everybody! Sacred Cows Tonight is a production of Sacred Cows Tonight. Executive producers, Mike and Pete. Sketch portions of this episode were written, edited, and produced by Pete, and performed by Mike, Pete, Mike DeJong, and John Caulfield. Main portions of this episode are edited by Eli Ramsey. 
Want to contribute your sketch to Sacred Cows tonight? Email us your script or proposal to sacredcows at heroeoftheweb.com. That's sacredcows at heroeoftheweb.com. 